everyone and welcome to another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we kick back and talk about the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. And it has been quite a week since we last talked to you. The trade deadline has come and gone and both teams pulled off some deals and now one team is minus a manager, and it's not the team that I thought it would be in the Cincinnati Reds. So in order to talk about the Reds, we have to bring in our Reds expert, Blake Watson. And Blake, before we get underway, I want to run something by you here. There's a rumor that I heard that you once received a detention in grade school when the teacher pointed a ruler at you and said, at the end of this ruler is an idiot. And you got the detention for saying, which end? <laughs> that's something I would definitely say. Um, but no, that is not a factual statement. <laughs> well, you know, when you look at that ruler, Blake, a lot of us thought that the Reds were going to do a lot more and they went the other direction and they went primarily, well, I guess only for relief pitching. And that relief pitching kind of helped and kind of hurt this weekend against the Mets, but still, the Reds are the hottest team in baseball. They had the best record in the National League in the month of July, and they're hoping they can continue that through the month of August. Yeah, and I mean, there's no reason to think they can't. Um, you know, they're starting to, to find ways to get healthy. I actually think the three relievers um, that they got are going to help out a lot, especially Michael Givens. I think that's kind of the, the biggest one of the group of Luis Sessa, Wilson, and then, and then, uh, Michael Givens that they added. The biggest thing is, they didn't have to give much up. Um, you know, you get two guys from the Yankees who are career three and a half ERA-ish guys. Um, and, you know, you did that by giving up a player to be named later. Now, some idiot Yankees fans that I saw online thought that that player to be later, named later might be Luis Castillo. <laughs> They're idiots. Um, Are you serious? Oh, I absolutely saw it on a message board. It said, "Well, what are, what are if one of the if the player to be later named later might be Luis Castillo?" I'm like, oh, no, it's not gonna be. <laughs> boy, That's not oh, how boy. these things work. Yes. Um. I don't think there's anything, you know, on the Yankees roster that you trade Luis Castillo for right now, but, um, I just, yeah, man, they're the, I like the deals. I wish they'd have did a little bit more, but as you look around that team, I don't know where you add pieces that really help. I would have been okay with, you know, some smaller deals, um, you know, for some, for some backup players, some bench guys, um, because, uh, you know, I don't know that there was an outfielder on the market that plays if the Reds are fully healthy. Um, maybe Starling Marte. I would have liked to see maybe swing Trey Turner to put, put, plug him in center field. That would have really would have liked. Um, as you know, I, I talked about that deal, that Dodgers deal. If the Reds could have made that deal, man, I think they're, you know, legitimate World Series contenders. 
you add Scherzer to that bull, that starting rotation and Trey Turner to that lineup, I think they'd be legit. Um, overall, I'm, I'm relatively pleased. I didn't, I kept saying I thought they were going to do something because I knew they had to, but I really didn't believe they would. And then they pulled a couple of pretty good deals off. Yeah, it was, it, I thought it was a, a pretty successful week for the Reds and the way that they pulled down those deals was, uh, very, uh, it was very good. And sometimes, Blake, it's the deals that you don't make. And I read a story yesterday, pardon the pun, about Troy Story out of Colorado and how he is shocked to still be a Rocky. But the things that the Rockies were actually looking for in return, I can understand why Story is still a member of the Rockies because they were not going to get back what they wanted out of this guy. And it's kind of confusing because he's going to walk away and they're not going to get anything out of him. Yeah, I mean, they'll tender a qualifying offer at the end of the year just to get a draft pick, but, you know, I definitely think they should have moved him. Um, really late in the process on Friday, right before the trade deadline, um, it did come out that they lowered their asking price, but they started off so high that there was really nowhere to go. Yeah. Um, it's similar to, I don't know how much you pay attention to, you know, NBA trade rumors, but some of these deals you're seeing that teams rejected that, uh, that the Sixers wanted for Ben Simmons, four first round picks. And right. It's like you're, the, yeah, the guy's good. He's not that good. I mean, I, I really like Trevor Story. Um, but if I had to pick one of the shortstops on the open marker that were at, available to trade deadline to get, I would have rather had Trey Turner. Um, I think he brings more to a ball club than, than Trevor Story. I mean, Trevor Story's a middle of the order bat who's a very good defensive shortstop. But Trey Turner, man, you, you, what he does can't, doesn't really grow on trees, just the speed. You know, he's hitting 315, 320. He's got good pop. The biggest thing is a legitimate top of the order guy. I mean, there's not that many legitimate old school leadoff hitters in baseball, and he's, he's one of them. He is still a legitimate leadoff hitter. Um, and you know, I think if the Reds could have swung away to find, to pick him up, you know, you move India down on the lineup, things like that. It just really lengthen, lengthens your lineup. And But other than that, I mean, you know, the Reds weren't going to improve at any real other position other than shortstop and maybe center field. Well, they, I think the Reds think they're going to fix one of those woes when Nick Senzel comes back. And not to mention, Kyle Farmer's played really, really well at shortstop. Yeah, I wanted to I bring mean, that up. I mean, is there anything more that Troy Story could have done that Kyle Farmer's not already doing? Other than hit the ball out of the ballpark a little more, um, that's really it. But, no, I don't think so. I mean, Kyle Farmer's been a plus defender at shortstop. No, I mean, he's not a, you know, gold glove caliber defender, but he's pretty good. Um, makes every play he's supposed to make. His batting average is up to almost 270. He's hit 10 home runs. I mean, and that's with barely playing the first month, month and a half of the season. Um, so, no, I don't think... To get him would have been great, but just would have depended on what you had to give up. Like I've said on this show before, um, if I could get Trevor Story without giving up Nick Lodolo, Hunter Green, Jose Barrero, or the, the shortstop, and uh, Austin Hendrick, I would do it. But I don't think you were going to get him for and without at least one, probably two of those guys being involved in the in the deal. Um, so I, I think by not trading for him, it's fine. I, I think, you know, if you could have figured out a way 
Scherzer or and Turner for the package, I would have been more willing to give at least one of those guys up. But, you know, neither one of those guys are likely to be Dodgers after the year. Maybe Scherzer on a one-year deal will continue with the Dodgers. But for the most part, those dudes are, are going to be free agents at the end of the year. So I would not have mortgaged the future of, you know, I think Hunter Green's got a chance to be really, really good. Nick Lodolo, really, really good. I'm not giving those guys away for a rental when I don't even – maybe if the Reds were first in division right now, maybe. Um, but, no, I'm not doing it. Well, and, and the Cubs really had a fire sale. I mean, I'm not surprised that they got rid of two of the three, but I'm surprised they got rid of all of the three in Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez. That that just totally astounded me that they gave up on all three. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'm shocked – I expected one to stay for sure. Um, I I expected it to be Baez or Rizzo. um, But, you know, I don't think... I I think they just realized this window's over. Um, And and get the best you can. The problem with that nowadays, man, is you can't really... You don't really reload. Like, outside of the deal that the Dodgers swung, they gave up a bunch to get two legitimate all-star caliber players. Um, you know, these rental players just aren't commanding as much as they did in the past. You're just not getting the return that you used to get. People value prospects a lot more than they used to. I guess unless you're trading with San Diego, because they'll give you anybody to sign somebody. Um, <laughs> they, they'll trade for anybody right now that they think can help them, which is great and terrible at the same time. Well, but, the, the terrible thing that happened to San Diego is the fact that Tatis he may be gone for the year now after injuring his shoulder on Saturday night, and that was after the trade deadline, so they can't go out and help themselves. Yeah, I don't. I mean, there's still ways to help yourself with the waiver trades and things like that, so they can get something. But, no, I mean, you go get, you know, Adam Frazier, and he can't play shortstop. Jake Cronenworth can't play shortstop. Um, I, I mean, I guess theoretically you could move Machado back there and put one of those guys at third, but... He's not really a shortstop anymore. They got Kim from Korea, and he's pretty good, but he doesn't hit as much. So, I mean, they've got plenty of dudes that just don't have a shortstop now. Um, so I don't know. You know, I haven't seen what they've done at short since then. Um, but, it's yeah, it's, it's bad news. And it's the same shoulder he injured earlier in the year that he had been playing through, and then he hurts it again, and now they're talking about whether or not it's going to be season any surgery. Right. Right. And that – but they're going to wait about 10 days to see if if that's going to happen. Blake, um, the Reds, with that injury to the Padres, they seem to be in pretty good pretty good standing right now, even though they're a few games behind the Padres still. I don't know if that injury to Tatis is going to – I think that's going to take them right out in the Reds if they continue to play like this. They're going to overtake the Padres and get into the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. I think uh... – you know, if I were to bet right now, if Tatis doesn't play another inning of baseball this year, then I think the Reds are going to end up being the second wild card team. Um, I still think there's a shot they they catch Milwaukee. Um, I, I still, outside of that pitching staff, I'm still not super sold on that Milwaukee Brewers team. Um, up to and including, I'm not sold on Craig Council as a manager. Um, I think, you know, they definitely have the best starting rotation, probably in the National League. But offensively, they're just okay everywhere. They're not special. And then the rumor has it, you know, Nick Castellanos may be back in the lineup as early as tomorrow night. 
Um, so they get Cassianos back. Mustakas and Senzel are both out on um, rehab assignments along with Lucas Sims. TJ Antone's not far behind that. If the Reds get healthy early in this month of August, um, I, I say watch out, man. I think they got a really good shot to get back to the playoffs. I don't know that they're they're built to compete in the playoffs. I just don't think the starting pitching's good enough. Although, you know, you look down last night and six and a half innings, Vladimir Gutierrez was no hitting um, the Mets for a while until he gave up that solo home run. So uh, they've got guys. It's just all depends, man. If they get in, I think they're going to have a shot to, to be tough to beat because they hit all up and down the lineup, and they got good enough pitching. Well, let's switch over to the Cleveland Indians now, and uh, obviously I'm not going to be able to call them the Indians very much longer, so I'm going to take advantage of it while I can. Nonetheless, uh, the Indians, I'll tell you the best deal I thought they pulled off, Blake, was the Miles Straw acquisition from Houston. I really liked that pickup. Um, you know, I thought it was fun uh, two weeks before they made the trade, when the Indians were playing a seven-game set with Houston, four in Houston, three in Cleveland. And I like this kid in center field. He's 26 years old. Of course, obviously, he's not going to have an opportunity to play center field in Houston prior to this year because of George Stringer being there, but now going to, to Toronto. So they were giving him the opportunity. The kid was hitting two sixty-two in his rookie year. He's got 17 stolen bases, faster than lightning this kid is, and a great defensive center fielder, and he can bat leadoff for you. I thought that was the best pickup that the Indians made. Now, obvious, obviously they traded uh, Eddie Rosario to Atlanta for nothing. And Pablo Sandoval, who was going to cost more on the per diem meal plan than he was in a salary, but the Indians managed to get rid of that contract right away. Uh, about a half an hour after they made that deal, they ended up trading him or, or releasing him. Um, they they picked up a couple of relievers. They traded who I thought they were going to, Cesar Hernandez. I didn't expect them to trade him to Chicago, but it made sense for the White Sox to pick it up. Now they've, they've plugged a hole at second base. I don't think the Indians are going to catch the White Sox, and I don't think the Indians are going to make the playoffs. Don't get me wrong, but the trades that they made, especially the straw deal, I was very, very pleased with, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bark about what the organization did at the deadline. I was a little surprised to see them continue to straddle the fence the way that organization always does. Um they fought a little bit, they sold a little bit. I just don't see, you know, how they got better at the deadline. Um, and they, and they really didn't get worse either. So they weren't built to, to really compete. Um, I mean, I guess they are if their pitching staff's healthy. I, I should say that for sure, but they're not really built to, to win that division and probably not going to win that division. So White Sox might be the best team in the, in the American League, especially with the acquisitions they've made. Um, yeah, I want, I want to talk about that here in a little bit, but go ahead. So I, to me, it's similar to the way we talked, you know, a year ago about Lindor and Bob. It seems like we continue to go back to this, what are the Indians actually doing? If you're going to blow it up, then blow it up. 
if you're going to continue to try to compete, then continue to try to compete. You don't do that by trading, you know, Eddie Rosario had been one of the more consistent offensive players they had on a team that's kind of offensively challenged at times. Um, you know, I know he didn't play a ton. They traded Luplo too, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, but Luplo was on the 60-day DL, and and to be honest with you, Luplo was not part of their, their plans. Uh, Rosario, they weren't going to re-sign at the end of the year anyway. I mean, that was that was a given. And, and to be honest with you, Blake, I was not that hepped up on Rosario signing a contract with the Tribe. And and even, you know, with him being on the team, there were times, I'll tell you, this team, and, and it didn't stem just from Rosario, but this team is so defensively challenged, it's ridiculous. It's almost like these guys have never played baseball in their lives. Bradley Zimmer is one of them. Now, Bradley Zimmer in center field can chase down any fly ball you could put out there because of his speed and his glove. But instinctively and intellectually, as a major league outfielder, guy is dumber than a box of rocks. I mean, he throws the third base in situations that he should be holding the double play in order and throwing to second base. He'll try to uncork a throw to home plate. He just is, and, and he doesn't, I've seen two times over the past two weeks, Blake, where he has gone for fly balls and he doesn't call anybody off. And it has led to, well, especially on Friday night against Chicago, it turned out to be the White Sox, turned out to be the game-winning run in the fourth inning. He went after a fly ball into right center field. Daniel Johnson came over from right field. Zimmer's going to his left. They collide. The ball hit Johnson in the glove. Johnson had it, but when they collided, Zimmer, the ball popped out of Johnson's glove and went over the fence for a home run. And they showed it on the replay, and Johnson's calling for the ball, and Zimmer, as Rick Manning said on the broadcast, Zimmer was doing a ventriloquist act because his lips were moving, but evidently nobody could hear him because Johnson just kept going for it. That's happened twice now with Zimmer in center field. He just, I don't know, he instinctively, he is not a good center fielder. That's why I was so hepped up on them uh, picking up straw because immediately the the defense up the middle improved. Rosario at shortstop, he's not a shortstop. You know, I've watched him enough this year to realize that this guy defensively has a lot of weak spots, and it's no wonder the Mets thought that they needed a a shortstop. Now, what the Indians plan on doing, if they plan on putting Jimenez back there for the last two months, I don't know, but Rosario's a good hitter. But they got to find a place in the lineup for him, and I don't think it's second base. They've got Ernie Clement playing second base now in spot of Hernandez. I like that move. I think Ernie Clement, as I've told you, I think is the second coming of Whit Merrifield. I think he's going to be a, he's going to have an outstanding major league career. He's just got to get through this first year and get his feet wet, get settled in the major league level and, and go at it. Owen Miller's another one that they've got to find a place for. I think they've got a lot of talent that is on this team that needs to grow and needs to prosper. But the question is now, and I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll bring it up now, um, Terry Francona's gone. Now, Francona is undergoing hip replacement surgery, and while they're in there, I guess they're going to put a steel rod in his left foot, which evidently has not healed. I don't know if you ever noticed it, Blake, but he's been wearing a boot on his left foot since the beginning of the season, and 
he's just unable to get around quite effectively. So DeMarno Hale has taken his spot as manager, which I was glad of. My gut feeling was, Blake, if Sandy Alomar took over the club like he did a year ago, Francona wasn't coming back. If Hale did, Francona was returning next year, and I, my feeling is Francona will be back next year. But that, obviously, more than anything to me, was the Indians throwing up the white flag on this season. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because you would think something like that hip replacement would have been, you know, scheduled a long time in advance, and it seems like it's kind of just came out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, so it kind of feels like, hey, we're going to punt on the season, so Terry, go ahead and get it done so you're ready for spring training. Um, similar to what you would do with a, a pitcher to shut him down and have that shoulder scoped out at this point of the year because it's, it, the year's over. Um yeah, it's crazy. It's the second the second year in a row, right? That, yeah. that Frank County's had to step away for medical reasons. Um, you know, at what point does he step away for good? And I love Tito. I think he's one of the best managers in baseball. I would love to have him running my team. Um, I would love to play for a guy like that. But the question becomes, at what point is he done? Um you know, what point does he not want to do it anymore? He doesn't need to do it. He does it because he wants to, right? He definitely has made enough money in his life to where he doesn't have to manage a baseball team. Um, you know, I know we talked a little bit last year about possibly Sandy Alomar staying the manager and him moving into the front office, which would be, you know, I think a good move going yeah. forward. Um, I just... It's hard, and not only that, at this point now where all these young guys are starting to play, and they're still competitive, but... If they're going to go through one of those big lulls for a couple of years, if you're Tito Francona, do you want to go through that? Now, can you impart wisdom, make it, you know, help these young kids? Absolutely. But he could do that as a as a consultant, as a, you know, roving minor league instructor, as a whatever he wants to be. Um, you know, he's earned the right to do whatever he wants within that organization. And uh, I just – I. I if it were me and I'm the, the Indian slash Guardians, as much as I love Tito Francona with all the young guys we're going with, I would continue this offseason to build my farm system to, you know, if that involves trading Jose Ramirez or Aaron Savali or any of these other guys. I'm probably not Savali, still pretty young, but you know what I mean. The, the, the main guys that you can get decent return for, um, especially Jose Ramirez in the offseason – I would definitely look at doing those things. And, and, and at that point, you can go with a different manager and let Tito transition. Um, you know, you don't, nobody wants to see their, that, that, the manager out there, you know, Tito getting his head drug every week because he just doesn't have the guys. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's not fair to him. It's not fair to his, his legacy of what he's done in this game. So I, I that's what I would consider starting to do if I was running the Indians right now you you know I you gotta make a definitive plan of what you are are we going to try to be competitive next year and if so you're gonna have to spend some pretty serious money in the offseason um because they have to upgrade offensively all over the diamond right um and then maybe some of those spots are these young guys um but, you know, I, I honestly think what the Reds have done the last two years is a pretty good, you know, uh, idea of the way to build it. Like, 
you to go out and get maybe not the top top tier free agents. You go out and get a Mustakis, and you trade for a Sonny Gray, and you bring in Nick Castellanos, all on relatively team friendly deals because they just weren't the top top guys in their free agent classes. To go along with the guys you've got coming back, and you know, you, at that point, you obviously keep Jose Ramirez and Shane Beaver and those guys. Um, and then that's where you, you you have your young guys pick it up. Like the Reservoir this year with Stevenson in India, you have a couple of young guys that are big contributors when they're ready to be big contributors, not before they're ready, not learning how to play on the fly. Um, I, I think that's that could be a really good, you know, benchmark of how the Indians could do this in a quicker manner than tearing it all the way down. Well, they, they've done it before behind the Jacob brothers and. The fact that, and, and, you know, I've told this story ad nauseum, but the big thing about the Jacob brothers before the Dolans was, uh, the Jacobs, they, they wanted 8% on their, on their return every year. That was it. 8% off the top every year. What's left over, you can spend on whoever you want. With the Dolans, it's not that formula. The Dolans are, we are a small market team, we are not going to have a $100 million payroll. We are going to stay in the area of 60 to $80 million, and that's it. So obviously, Blake, they're taking home more of an 8% return on their investment. Now, I know everybody would come back and say the mathematics don't work, especially for the Jacobs. Well, keep in mind, the Jacobs, when they bought the team, I think they only paid like $16 million for it. When the Dolans bought the team... They paid close to a billion dollars for it. So there's a big difference there on rate of return. I get that. But in this case, the Dolans, not only, especially with the, the, uh, trading of Rosario to Atlanta, that cut the Indians payroll from $49 million down to $45 million, which is the lowest in baseball. It's the lowest. Now why is a team like the Cleveland Indians in a stadium that is normally half full every night and most of the time full, having a salary of $45 million for the entire year, they're never going to go out. I'll tell you this right now, Blake. They will never go out and sign a contract to any player, no matter who, uh, like Castiano signed or Mustaka signed. It will not happen with the Indians. The only reason Jose Ramirez is still on the team is because four years ago he signed a seven-year deal. He's got three years left with the team after this year. So, and he's, it's a, it's a fan-friendly, uh, contract too. He's, he's only making seven million dollars a year. Now you talk about a guy who's underpaid. That's, that's Jose Ramirez. Over the last three years, he's been over, underpaid. And, you know, the Dolans don't, they're not gonna do anything about it. Uh, when Franmail Reyes decides to uh, play out his option, the Indians won't do anything about it. This organization is the type that is totally different from the Jacobs. I, I remember when the Jacobs went out and got Roberto Alomar. It wasn't because Sandy was his brother and playing in Cleveland. That had a little bit to do with it. But it was the fact that, San, that Roberto Alomar, that was the highest that they offered, and they got it. Um but that was under the Jacobs brothers. Dolans don't want to spend money. They're not interested in it. The only time they've ever spent money, Blake, and I can tell you the one time that they've done it, and that was under Nick Swisher, 
and they totally got screwed on that deal. And the only reason they paid Nick Swisher the money that they did, two reasons. One, he was from Ohio. Two, they had the money because they just formed Sports Time Ohio under the Indians brand, and they had a tremendous amount of money that had come in off of advertising from that network. Then they went ahead and sold it. Now they don't have that at that ancillary income coming in. But I will tell you this, they will have next year because they are going to go out, they're going to rebrand the Indians, they're going to turn it into the Guardians, and they're going to be selling a lot of things for the Guardians. Just saying, but they've also got to update the stadium from all those Indian signs and Indians memorabilia to the Guardians. So who knows where the Dolans are going to go. And another thing, and I told you this two weeks ago, keep in mind, that the lease for the Indians with Progressive Field is over in the year 2025. And who's looking for baseball teams? A lot of cities. For sure. So you're you're pretty much sold on the fact that the Dolans are not capable of running a winning baseball organization. Absolutely not. I, I agree with you 100% in that. I think the 2016 World Series was their final shot at it. Um, I think the Dolan's aspect of trying to win is by bringing in aging players and young and upcomers, but anybody in their prime, they're not coming to Cleveland, even with Terry Francona there. Well, that's, that's, that's not a good feeling to have as a fan, is it? No, it's not. And, you know, it, it makes me excited. You know, I sit back and I, and I look at what the Reds have done and, uh, you know, I gotta say, you know, Castellini went for it. Good or bad, right or wrong, he went for it. He brought in two free agents and a starting pitcher. And, you know, now, did he go for it as far as the manager is concerned, in my opinion? No, I don't think he did. But he went for it on players on the field. Now, it's not his fault that Mustakas is constantly hurt. It's not his fault that Sonny Gray suddenly has forgotten how to throw a curveball. And he, he's got a home run, obviously, in Castellanos. But at least the Reds' ownership showed the gonads to go out and put what they thought was going to be a winning product on the field. Did it work early? No. But now they've backed it up by going out, seeing what the team's problem was, going out and getting three relievers, and taking care of it. I've seen the Indians do that. It's a great formula, but I haven't seen the Indians front office go out and sign free agents like that. They get old, tired free agents like Rosario. That's what they get. A Cesar Hernandez, who nobody wants. Philadelphia casted him off for a reason. I know now what that reason is. When he's not in the mood to play, his defense suffers. And that's been the problem with the Indians this year has been defense. So, you know, hey, I tip my cap to Castellini. I think he did a great job in letting the organization go out and do what they had to do to bring a winning team to the, the city this year. Yeah, see, I think I actually, you know, he did it for last year. But coming off of COVID, he absolutely, they, they, he was instrumental in them slashing payroll. Yep. Now, they lost $47 million over expectancy last year. Um, as a, as a team, the, the, the Reds lost 47 million last year. So I kind of get it. Um, 
But, you know, he was flexible enough to add a little bit of payroll right here at the deadline, and, I, and uh, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, there was a lot of stuff when the Reds, right about a week and a half before the deadline, maybe a little before that, when they lost those couple games to Milwaukee, and it was, again, bullpen-related, and then they they struggled out of the gate out of the after the All-Star break. There's a lot of people reposting the letter that Bob Castellini sent to the fans when he bought the team. And the, the headline is, we are committed to bringing championship baseball back to Cincinnati. And while they haven't, I, I can argue that he, like you said, he's went forward at times. I mean, you go back to, I guess, was it 10 or 11 when, you know, they brought in Shin They brought in Matt Latos. They traded for these guys. Um, and, you know, it, it worked. They were really good there for a couple of years. And then we had a, a, a lull again. And once he saw that they had some up-and-coming young guys that could play, he went out and added some pieces. I mean, you know, the year before last, the pitching staff was really good. And you didn't even have really Trevor Bauer at that time. But then he saw what he had coming into last year. And he added, you know, I still think over a 162-game season last year, the Reds would have been a really tough team to beat um, if we'd have got a full season last year. So, you know, I, I, can, I can argue with things that they do as a franchise, but I think Bob Castellini wants to win. I think he is more concerned with putting a, at very minimum, competitive team on the baseball field than he is with making money. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you, and as I said, I think it's a situation where the Cleveland Indians, they caught lightning in a bottle in 2016 because of the starting pitching. That's exactly what it was, the starting pitching. And they had just enough hitting to put them over the top on that season. Now, the Dolans are never gonna go out and get a heavy hitter. It's not gonna, they're not gonna go out and get a heavy player, period. Um, my gut feeling is, is that when Plezak, Savali, and Bieber are in their, uh, option year, um, they're gonna be gone. They'll be traded. Now, luckily we've got them for three and four years remaining out of the three, but still in all, Blake, I mean, it's a situation where, um, I understand where the fans are coming from in Cleveland. They, they're begging the Dolans to sell the team. I wish the Dolans would sell the team. But keep in mind, Charlotte, North Carolina wants a Major League Baseball team. Montreal wants a Major League Baseball team. Las Vegas wants a Major League Baseball team. And they are going after one hot and heavy, just like they did in the NFL. And baseball doesn't have a problem with it, which is ironic because... Now all of a sudden Major League Baseball would like to place a team in Las Vegas, but they've still got the greatest history and the greatest hitter in the history of Major League Baseball and Pete Rose who's not allowed into the Hall of Fame because of gambling. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean everybody's going to Vegas. Vegas isn't what it used to be. Um there will be a Major League Baseball team. Yes. In Vegas during my lifetime for sure. Yes. I I agree with you. I want to, I want to move on to the two bums of the week. Um, one I know you know, the other one I'm not sure you know. Javi Baez and his, um. his little tirade 
after the game-winning base hit against Amir Garrett and the Reds. What was that, Wednesday or Thursday? I don't remember which day. Um, but it turned out to be his last hit as a Cub. Um, I, so I, I guess it might have been Monday or Tuesday night because he didn't play the last two games against the uh, Reds in that series, and then he was traded to the Mets. But his little stir the drink with the bat and the way he just walked to first base instead of run to touchdown, and 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 Anthony Rizzo pushing him along the the baseline to get him to first base and get him the heck out of there. Major League Baseball needed to do something to him, and they didn't. And again, they they failed miserably. Yeah, there was a meme floating around the day after that the, the announcement came out that he was getting suspended and not or getting fined and not suspended. There was ways to avoid being suspended by the MLB. Play against the Reds. End of list. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's the way it is. I mean, he basically did the exact same thing that Castellanos did, and the Reds, the only thing is the Reds didn't react. If the Reds would have cleared the benches like, you know, St. Louis did when that situation happened, Javi Baez may have been suspended. But because they didn't react, it, it was just, Eh, whatever. He's, he doesn't play for the Reds. Who cares? Yeah. Um, that dude is an absolute clown. He cannot play for me. Um, uh, you know, and there was talk actually about the Reds being in play for Javi Baez. Um, I saw on Twitter after that happened, you know, Reds had asked about Javi Baez and count crossed that off the list at this point. The, the Reds will not trade for him. Um, and, you know, I'm glad because I don't want that clown on my team. Yeah. I don't like dudes like that. I'm all for getting excited and pumping up your team and all that stuff. I love the new age bat flips and all that stuff. That's fine. What he did was completely and utterly disrespectful. And uh, if this was – I'm 15 and this is a summer ball game, the next time I see him, I'm ear holing him, period. Absolutely. And but that I agree was 15, 20 years ago, and you could do shit like that back then. Yeah, you know, I, um, I looked at I looked at it, Blake, and I and I saw what he did, and it it to me, I, well, I I texted you back that that night, and I said, you know, if I if I'm the Reds, I bring up some Joe Blow from the minor leagues for that game that night, and I plant one right in his ear hole, just like you just said. Now, is that politically correct nowadays? No, but I'll tell you what, what that guy did was an absolute insult, not only to the Reds and to the Cubs, but Major League Baseball in particular. And if Rob Manfred isn't smart enough to see that, then he is a bigger idiot than I thought he was. Which is hard, because we think he's a pretty big idiot. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's that offense is completely clueless right now. They have no idea what's going on in the game. They just They just go with the flow and do, you know, continue to get wrong. You, uh, other than a Cubs fan, you will find nobody anywhere on social media that thought that that was a, uh, a punishment that fit the crime. Especially after what has happened with the Reds earlier in the year. You know, um, I, I enjoyed my visit to Wrigley Field a couple of weeks ago, but I gotta say, this weekend, when the, when the Cubs got rid of Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez, and all of the thank you stuff that was sent out to those three, where were all the thank yous when John Lester left? No doubt. And he was the main ingredient on that pitching staff that led them to the World Series. Yeah. Him and, you know, if you want to consider the bullpen guy, it was him and Papelbon. 
Uh, well, Chapman. Chapman was yeah. on that year because he got traded by the Reds uh, to the Cubs. I just mean as far as guys that were on that roster that helped build them into a winning culture. Yeah. Pardon my mistake. He got traded from the Yankees to the Cubs and then re-signed with the Yankees. Goofballs. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, now the other one I want to get into, the other bum of the week, is Tony LaRusso. Tony LaRusso, and, and that's why I said I wanted to bring this up later on in the show when you said the White Sox may have the best team in the American League. With him as manager, Blake, they'll never win the American League. Nope, not a chance in hell. Ain't going to happen. Tony LaRusso thinks the game is beneath him. He thinks he is above the game. I have seen it twice this year to where he thinks he is holier than thou. There was an instance that I saw on YouTube about a month ago where he argued and argued with the umpires over the fact that while, and this is what he told them because they had it, they had it mic'd up. When I was in the front office, we put in a rule that stipulated that you could not challenge a play during a pitching change. And that's exactly what he said. And the umpires called, they, they literally, Blake, went as far as to call New York to find out if a team could challenge during a pitching change, and New York said yes. And LaRusa continued the argument. This went on for ten minutes before they, they, they didn't, basically I think he, it was time for his nap and he went back to the dugout and fell asleep. But on Friday night was the biggest jerk play of the year. The Indians have been pitching against Jose Abreu high and in tight all year long because Abreu crowds the plate. So what do you do? You pitch him high and in tight, then throw a, sl a slider on the next pitch, low and outside, and get him to go for it. And they've been successful with that. Problem is, on Friday night, they hit him in the helmet. They, the first inning, they hit him in the, in the elbow, the left elbow. The two at-bats later, they hit him in the head, hit him in the helmet. Now, LaRusa comes darting out of the dugout as fast as a 75-year-old guy can run and immediately goes to Perez, the catcher. Goes to our catcher, who's kneeled over Abreu, who's laying on the ground in the batter's box. He's tending, tending to Abreu, and LaRusa comes running out of the batter, running out of the dugout, and pushes Perez 10 feet, and I'm not joking, 10 feet, and then gets into a face-to-face -face with Perez over accusing the Indians that they're throwing at his head. This guy has gone senile. Pardon pardon this against old people, I get it, I understand, but I, I, I really think he is over the edge. He doesn't know how to how to handle this team. And it has gotten really, really bad lately. And, you know, LaRusa made the comment the other day that the biggest obstacle to a team winning a World Series is internal problems. He's the biggest one that has caused internal problems with the White Sox this year. Yeah, I mean, we all kind of saw that coming, right? Anybody who didn't see that coming is lost. Um, that's a, you know, old, old dude who is old school coaching a, a young, energetic, 
very Latin team. Like, is a, those dudes have flavor, they have flair, they want to, they want to celebrate, they want to, you know what I mean? They want to smile and enjoy the game, and he's a hundred. Um, yep. That holier than thou stuff, though, man, he's been that way his entire career. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't remember much about Oakland A's, Tony, Tony LaRussa, but I definitely remember St. Louis Cardinals, Tony LaRussa, and he was the same way. Um, yep. He always, you know, thought he was just above the game. So to me, that doesn't matter because he's proven to win with that mentality. Uh, the rule thing, it is what it is. I, if they had to check it with New York, that means they weren't a hundred percent sure either. So, you know, I think obviously you should know the rules on the, you know, pitching change. And that's pretty simple. I can tell, could tell you right away. It's until the next pitch is thrown, a warm up pitch doesn't count. Um, he is so, you have the opportunity. He, he was so adamant. Yeah. He was so adamant during that argument. If you go back and you watch it on YouTube, he was so adamant in that argument, Blake, that I think the umpires were basically intimidated that they needed to call New York to find out for sure if that was the rule. They, they were standing pat that yes, they could. He was so adamant. And then when they finally told him, yeah, you can, he was like, well, that's not the intent of the rule. And he spent another five minutes complaining about it. He literally, Blake, th- this is what was funny about his entire argument over Abreu getting hit in the helmet. He literally walked himself into a challenge. And that's what the funny part of it was. He, he literally walked himself into a challenge, and there was nothing that he could do about it. And, I don't know, this guy has just really gone off the deep end, and I think he's going to be the guy that is going to eventually lead to the downfall of the White Sox. Which, by the way, I learned something yesterday. You're going to find this interesting. Do you know that this is going to be the first time in White Sox history that they will go to the playoffs in back-to-back years? Whoa! I did not know that until yesterday. That's a crazy stat. That Um, is. By chance, it would have happened before. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see... You know, that happening, and I thought early in the year, I thought it would happen. Uh, I, I, you know, even from a St. Louis phase, I always thought Tony LaRusso was a clown. So, um, you know, he just continues to prove my point over and over again and continue to show you why I hate the Cardinals. Um, yeah, I think the team's too talented. I don't think it matters. Well, you know, I, I remember when Sparky Anderson left the Reds, and... My dad was alive at the time, and we used to listen to a sports talk show host, which was one of the first ones in the country, Pete Franklin up in Cleveland. And he interviewed Sparky one night, and uh, Sparky was a free agent, hadn't gone to Detroit yet, and Pete made the comment to Sparky, and this is a quote. He made the comment to Sparky, well, maybe we'll see you in Cleveland next year. Sparky kind of giggled and said, I don't think so. And my dad took that comment and said, Sparky Anderson will never go to another baseball team that doesn't have a chance to win. And when he went to Detroit, my dad turned out to be absolutely correct. And that's the same way with La Russa, Blake. He went from the White Sox, who won 98 games his rookie year as a manager. His second year as manager, they won 74, a 24-game drop-off. And he ended up, he ended up on the unemployment line as a young manager, went to Oakland when they had Mark McGuire, Dave Stewart, 
Um, who's the idiot out in right field? I can't remember his name Who's now. Conseco. Um, oh, cripe. Jose, yeah, Conseco. Yeah, you're right. Jose Conseco, Dennis Hackersley, yeah. Henderson. Exactly. Ended up getting, getting that bunch and riding them to only one world championship. Going to the World Series three or four times, but only winning it once and losing to a Reds team in which they were the favored team big time out in Vegas in 1990, and the Reds just handed them four in a row. And you're telling me that Tony La Russa is one of the great managers of all time? Then he goes to St. Louis, and uh, did they win one or two? I think two. I think two. I think you're right. But he also rode a bunch of great players. Yeah, I mean, he had Pujols and McGuire and... Uh, Scott Rowland and yeah. Jim Edmonds and yeah, he had lots of Yachty. He had, he's never, since his very early days as a manager, he has definitely been very good about picking his situation. Yeah. And now the White Sox. I mean, anybody could have managed the White Sox to the division championship this year. Crying out loud, you and I picked them both to win it. So I mean, I mean, that, that's something that, you know, he's not walking into a situation where they actually Needed him. And, I, yeah, Tony LaRusa to me, is the absolute bum of the week. Well, what are the Reds got going this week, Blake? Uh, see, I, I just looked at it, too. Man, you're bugging me. I just lost it. I'm sorry. I threw that up, and absolutely. I know the, the Indians are in Toronto. Matter of fact, hey, by the way, the Blue Jays are back in Toronto now. Oh, that's awesome. Canada has lifted the... Uh, travel ban, and now the Indians are in Toronto. They played this afternoon, and they've got another two games in Toronto coming up on Wednesday and Thursday, and then the Indians will be, uh, or actually they're going to be playing in Toronto for the next four days, and then the Indians will be uh, at home taking on the Detroit Tigers. The Reds got a quick two-gamer. They're off tonight, quick two-gamer. At home with uh, Minnesota, um, who sold a bunch of parts, so they're not nearly <laughs> the team they were in the year. Yeah. Four games set with the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's a triple-A team, I think. Um, boy, oh boy, you and, got an easy week coming up. And then, then the one game make up with, uh, with, with, the, with the Indians with the stride. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So I'll tell you what, out of the six games, if you win five, you need to win five. Yeah, absolutely. They need to continue. They're coming off a five and two road trip. Um, you know, you, you gotta, you, you expect to win four, at least go four and two this week. You know, five and one would be fantastic. That's really, if they want to get back into the division race, this is a week they have to go five and one. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So we'll talk about it again next Monday night. Okay. Sounds good. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks for joining us here on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. For Blake Watson, I'm Dave Mitchell. We'll be back next week. Have a good week, everybody.